going to have our app is called FC Online. And on that app, I've got all the notes for this sermon. Our app is FC Online. I didn't make a PowerPoint today on purpose just because I wanted you to be able to focus in on on what it is that the Lord would have for us today. I want to welcome those who are joining online. Um, we have a church in uh, Oklahoma City, and uh, we sent uh, Kim Reese to lead worship for them today, and she would just send me some pictures of their service. And uh, if you guys are watching after your service there, welcome. Uh, we're glad you're joining us. We know I've got people from all over the country joining this morning for Easter as well. Uh, I want to talk to you today about uh, the subject of being new, or the subject of just this word, new, what it means to be new, what it means to crave things that are new. And as I begin to talk about that, I, I wanted to talk a bit about uh, gardening. How many of you are gardeners here? Yeah, I'm, I'm not. Um, we, we have a big garden, but we, we haven't utilized it much. How many of you like to plant plants or flowers? Yeah, how many of your plants have names? Yeah, I, I know, yeah, you're weird, okay. How, how many of you um, talk to your plants? All right, pagans, all of you. <laughs> so when, when you plant something, you have to prepare the soil. Uh, you have to make sure that the, the soil is going to be able to nurture the plant that you're going to plant. You have to, to water it and prepare it and put fertilizer in it. Um, when you have some over to, to your house, you have to prepare the house, clean the house, uh, vacuum the floor, sweep the floor, mop the floor. So we prepare for something to come. We prepare our space, our garden for life and for things that God is doing. So I would invite you today to prepare your heart for whatever God has for you this Easter. Prepare your heart for whatever God has for you uh, this next season as we enter into spring and into summer. Um, the Bible says that God's word doesn't return void, which means when you hear God's word, it has to do something inside of you. So either you you receive God's word or, or you reject it. And so when God's word lands on your heart, it's my prayer today that your heart would be receptive. And so today for Easter, I'm not going to do much beyond read through some scripture in regard to Easter, because uh, anything I have to say is insignificant, but God's word uh, is significant and can make a change in our lives. And so I'm going to read through some scripture. And as I prepare to do so, um, we're actually wrapping up a series that we've been on here uh, at our church for the last five weeks and um, you're, not, you're not missing out um, just joining in today on the series, but if you want to go back and listen to it, you can. Uh, but the series has just been called Human, and we've looked at what it means to be human from a biblical perspective, what it means to be made in the image of God. But the only recap I'll give is that last week uh, we talked about the fact that to be human is to be uh, stained with sin. So we're stained with sin and because of that, uh, we all sin. Sin is just falling short of God's expectations. We all have a sin nature, and we all suffer consequences for our sin. Uh, but the hope in that message is that we have the ability and the hope to be redeemed in Jesus Christ. And Jesus removes the stain of sin, and he gives us the opportunity to be a, a new kind of human. He makes us new. And so the verse we read last week was Romans 6.23. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so today we're going to talk about the free gift that is eternal life in Christ. We're going to talk about what it means to be a new kind of human in Christ. And this is where I'll talk about new stuff for a while. We're obsessed with new. 
um, we love new things. I know um, some of my friends here today, they tease me because when I get something new, um, I don't like to open it. Um, I might get a new computer or a new phone or a new whatever, and, and I'll leave it in the box uh, as long as possible because I know that the moment I open the box, it's no longer new. Am I neurotic and strange? Yes, okay. But it's real. And, and I love new things. So, you know, what kind of new stuff do you like? Maybe for you it's, it's, it's new clothes. It's a, it's a new uh, gear for the sport that you play. Um, we get new stuff, and some of us, we want to – rip it open and get to that stuff immediately. My friend Ryan, who's back filming right now, he'll get something. He opens it, I think, before he pays for it. And, like, <laughs> he's re rearing to go when something's new. I'm like, no, it needs, it needs to sit uh, in this frame under a light for a while before we open it up. So maybe some of you, it's new clothes. How many of you like the smell of new shoes? Anybody like that smell? New shoe smell is amazing. How many of you like the smell of old shoes? <laughs> But new, the, the idea of being new uh, is something that, that's really not new. One more strange thing about new things is um, bars of soap. I use body wash, um, but I, I, I have an affinity for Irish spring soap because I grew up using that as a kid. And when you open up a bar of Irish spring soap, it is like a work of art. <laughs> Beautiful curvature, um, smooth. Um, a wonderful color uh, of teals and blues and whites, but it also smells amazing. And, and I actually remember as a kid, I didn't, I would try to not wear down the soap because it just was so perfect. What do you like that's new? What, what do you, what do you, what do you love that's new? What? Okay. <laughs> new things. New love, new babies, new husbands, new wives, new friends, new houses, new cars. The smell of a new car is a good thing. So people are obsessed with new. Um, so much so that there are products that produce new things constantly just for the idea of them being new. Um, there has to be a new iPhone every single year. And even though it might not be different at all from the previous one, a lot of you will buy it just because it's, it's new. So this idea of being new, it goes hand in hand with spring, and we're obsessed with new things. We're obsessed with new diets. I remember when I was uh, in, the, in the 90s, uh, eggs and bacon and fat were like the worst things you could ever ingest into your body. But somehow in the 2010s, eggs and bacon and fat became the greatest thing, and you had to avoid carbs. I can remember growing up, and it was like, you got to eat the crust on your pizza because it's the most healthy part. Or you have to eat the crust on your sandwich. Now we realize that was the worst part we could have been <laughs> feeding our kids. There, there's new exercise routines. Um, some of you were jazzercise people. How many of you were jazzercise people? Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, Tim, you're too, you're too young. Then it was Pilates. And now it's, it's CrossFit. There, there's always something new. New hair, new clothes, new makeup, new tattoos, new jobs. There's all these things that we think if we get something new, it will fix whatever it is we have going on within us. So despite all these new things, we're still the same old person. Sometimes I think if I get the new iPhone, I will feel like a new person. If I get a new haircut, I'll feel like a new person. If I get that new... A uh, pair of shoes, I'll feel like a new person. But you never actually feel new when you get new things. You're still the same person with the desire to become new. 
So why is that? Why do, you, why do we have this craving to be new, and why do we think that getting new things will make us feel new? And the answer is it just doesn't work that way. Somehow we know um, that we're not who we're supposed to be. Somehow we know we were creating, created for something more. Um, somehow we know we were supposed to be different. And so sometimes we find ourselves feeling empty, unfulfilled, purposeless, uh, and alone. All because of this stain of sin. And so this is where religion comes in. Um, religion offers um, the idea of being new if you can work for new. If you can earn new, then you can be new. So uh, pray this prayer, go to this synagogue, mosque, temple, church, sing this song, give this amount of money, do this religious act, and then you might earn the ability to become new. But religion always falls short because we realize we can't really change ourselves by ourselves. And we do all these religious things, like we still feel empty. And so this is where uh, this, this thing we call the gospel, it's different. The gospel, it means, it means good news. The gospel is the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus offers forgiveness of sins. Jesus offers restored relationship with God. Jesus offers new life, eternal life. Only the gospel really offers that. And the offer that the gospel has is, is free. It's a free offer. Oftentimes we think, you know, something is, is too good to be true. Yesterday we did this Easter egg uh, hunt at the Riverfront Park, and we had so many people ask, like, is it free? Does it cost something? Because everything seems like it costs something. And so as Christians who receive the free gift of God, we ought to live our lives freely to give things away for free. So the gospel is given for free by our creator. And the reason it's given by our creator is because 3,000 years ago, a guy named David, he said, God, it's only you I've sinned against. So we might hurt others with our sins. We hurt ourselves with our sin. But ultimately, it's God who we've sinned against. And so it comes from our creator, this free gift of salvation. And it's given through the perfect human life of Jesus. It's given through his death and his resurrection. And that's what we're here today to celebrate is the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And resurrection is a lot more than uh, peeps and Easter eggs and Easter bunnies and, and fake grass. Uh, the resurrection proves that Jesus was without sin. The resurrection proves that Jesus conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. The resurrection proves that Jesus is the author and the resurrector of life, and the resurrection proves that Jesus has the power to give life to all who believe. Ultimately, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, um, it, it's free. It comes from our creator. It's given through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but ultimately it's given as a gift of grace to all humans who fall short. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve as a gift, not religious works, but as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation is a big word, but it just means Jesus received my punishment in my place. He took it for me. And it says in Romans 3 that it's received by faith. And so this is the gospel. It's the good news. It's free. It's from the creator. 
It's given through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's given as a gift of grace. And this is where we're going to read some scripture today. It's Romans 5 and 6. And I'd encourage you, maybe even as a family today on Easter, read through Romans 5 and 6. It's this fantastic Easter passage written by a man named Paul who had his life changed by Christ. But I'm going to read Romans 5, verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death reigned through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's what we've been talking about the last couple weeks. We die because of sin. Not just because of Adam's sin, but because of our sin. We sin, we're sinners, we face consequences for sin, we die because of our sin. And Paul says, the first man who sinned, if, if one person sinned and then all men sinned from that man, the reason we all die, we could say it, it's traced back to that one man. And we might blame that one man and say like, oh, why did you do that? But we would have done the same thing. Verse 15 says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one's, one man's trespass, one man's sin, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. What Paul is saying is if everybody dies because of Adam, the first man, how much more can everyone live through one man, Jesus Christ? And Jesus did what Adam could not do. Uh, Adam was almost a type of the one that was to come. And Jesus oftentimes is referred to as being like this new Adam, the man who was able to do what Adam could not the man who was God in the flesh, who actually was the one who created flesh. And so Romans 5.16 says, the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one sin brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So sin brings condemnation. We feel condemned and guilty and shame in our sin. But it says, but Jesus's life, it doesn't bring condemnation. Instead, it brings justification, forgiveness. Uh, it's a legal acquittal. Just as if you'd never sinned, Jesus offers that for us. And the one thing that we suffer with tremendously as we're seeking new things is we're suffering with shame and condemnation. But the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so I would just implore you to begin to investigate your heart. And when you find yourself falling short, do you feel condemned or do you feel convicted? A Christian feels convicted means they desire to do better. They desire to repent of sin. But, but someone who has not found forgiveness and salvation in Christ feels condemned and shame. But in Christ, there's no condemnation. There's no shame. Verse 18, therefore, as one sin led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Amen. And the verse that stands out to me, it says, this one act by Jesus, this one act of justification, it says it leads to justification. So Jesus leads the way. Jesus offers this free gift. It, it leads to justification. It leads to forgiveness. Our sins lead to condemnation, but this one righteous act from Jesus, it leads us to forgiveness and to life. But the idea of leading means that we have to follow. So Jesus leads and we have to decide, will we follow and will we walk in justification or will we stay behind and reject Jesus and instead walk in condemnation? 
Verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous or new. So through Adam, we experience sin and its consequences, ultimately death. But through Jesus, we experience grace, justification, righteousness, life. Through Jesus, we have the opportunity to be made new, a new we can't earn, a new we can't clean ourselves up to be, a new we can't work out through good things, but a new that's given through Christ. So jumping to, to chapter 6, verse 4, Paul says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. So Paul introduces um, sin and forgiveness of sin. He, he introduces this idea of being new, but then he says, Jesus died. Jesus died for our sins. And he says that we were buried with Jesus. And you might think, well, I wasn't buried with Jesus, but scripture implies that our sins were nailed to the cross with Christ. And so when we put our trust in the death of Jesus Christ, not only are our sins nailed to the cross in forgiveness in Christ, but they're somehow buried in the tomb. And so our old self is buried with Jesus. So oftentimes when I find myself wrestling with wanting to go back into sin and the cycle of shame and condemnation, I have to remind myself I'm dead to that. My, my sins are actually nailed to the cross with Christ. My sins are actually buried in his tomb. Verse four says he does that in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, and here's the reason for reading this verse today, we shall certainly be united with Jesus in a resurrection like his. So some of us, we might say, well, okay, we're united in his death. Our sins are forgiven. Yes. And so we just think about the death of Jesus on the cross. But if the death of Jesus on the cross is where that story ended, that would be a very bad ending of a story. But the good story of Jesus is that he rose from the grave. He defeated Satan, sin, hell, and death. There is a resurrection power in Jesus. And he says, Paul does, if you're united in death, how much more will you be united in resurrection? to have resurrected life. He actually says that you could walk in newness of life. And so sometimes as, as people who decide to follow Jesus, we may think, yes, in heaven, newness of life. Yes, um, in the new heaven and the new earth and a resurrected body. Yes, newness of life. But Paul's talking in the present tense. He says in Jesus, in his resurrection that we're united in, that we actually have a unitedness with Jesus and a newness of life right now. I'm going to jump ahead to Romans 8, 11. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you you. We write songs about this verse. We quote this verse, but essentially what the verse is saying is the resurrection power is in you. If you put your trust in Christ, his resurrection power is in you. And it, it is for this life you have resurrection power. I've overcome the grave. I've overcome the stain of sin. I've overcome 
condemnation because not just of the death, but because of the resurrection. I walk new now. But then I also walk new when I die. And I also walk new when Jesus returns and I'm made new. Verse 6 of Romans 6. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. So in Christ, we're justified. It means we're forgiven. In Christ, we're made righteous. We have the righteousness, the goodness, not of ourselves, but of Christ. And in Christ, we're new. We're not slaves to sin any longer. And, and people that wrestle whether or not, should I put my trust in Jesus? Should I follow Christ? Should I become a Christian? Should I ask Jesus into my heart? Should I follow Jesus? Whatever words you want to use to describe this new life in Christ, they'll say, but if I do give my life to Jesus, I won't be able to sin any longer. I, I won't be able to do all these things that, that I think I like right now that are actually leading to death. But when you receive the life, death, death, and resurrection of Jesus, it's not that you don't get to sin anymore. It's that you don't have to. It's that he frees you from it. You're not a slave to it anymore. And, and if your idea is, I won't get to, um, ask yourself, do I think I even need forgiveness? Do I think I need new life in Jesus? And the answer uh, is, is yes, you do. Because we're, we're all falling short of God's glory. And so if our attitude is we don't get to, we, we miss out, but the attitude should be, I don't have to anymore because I'm dead to that life. I'm dead to sin. Anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Verse eight, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So yes, it's awesome that Jesus died. Wonderful. He took our punishment, but beyond that, he gave us life through his resurrection, which proves that that's what he gives. And so right now we have this ability to live with Jesus and living with Jesus is not just a hope of heaven. Living in, with Jesus is not just a hope of Jesus returning to fix the world. Living with Jesus is a hope for today, Easter Sunday in 2021 in a tent. It's hope for today. I live with Christ today. I don't live with Christ in the future. I live with him now. So Jesus wants a relationship with you now. He doesn't want to save you for heaven. He wants to save you for relationship with him. Even if there was no heaven, I'd still want relationship with Jesus. But I have great hope that there is a heaven and that there is a resurrection of the dead and that we can live now in this life with Christ. Verse nine, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin, he died once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So his perfect human life, his death in your place paid your debt and washed away your sin. So Jesus died, it says, once and for all. And sometimes we say weird things as Christians that, that are not true. Like I've heard people say, like, every time I sin, I put Jesus back up on the cross and crucify him again. Well, then his life wasn't enough. 
Every time I sin, Jesus dies all over again. Well, his, his death wasn't enough, if that's the case. When Jesus died for your sin, he died for your sin 2,000 years ago, which means he died for all sins. The Bible actually says the blood of Jesus was poured out for the sins of the entire world. And so what, what am I forgiven from? My past sins, the answer is, is yes. What am I forgiven from? My current sin. The answer is yes, you're forgiven from current sin and then Jesus gives you new life so that you can feel not condemned but convicted of sin, to repent of sin, to, to turn away from sin and to turn continuously towards Jesus because I don't know about you, but I find myself sinning quite often. And when I do, as someone who follows Jesus, I acknowledge the sin, I repent of it and I stand up and I keep following Jesus because I know that he alone has the words of life. So if we believe that Jesus forgives past sin and present sin, that means that I know that Jesus has enough grace to forgive me of sins I will commit 10 years from now, 20, 30, 40. If you say, well, pastor, I don't sin any longer. You, you've missed the point. You're constantly in need of God's grace, constantly in need of God's forgiveness, constantly in need of God's power over sin, hell, and death. And so what he's saying is, if death could come through Adam, how much more can we experience through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? And this is the last verse we'll read from Romans 6, verse 9 and uh, 10. We'll read 11, Romans 6, 11. It says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. You must consider yourself dead to sin and alive in God in Christ. So in 1999, I was one years old. I'm kidding. No. And in 1999, actually, I, was, I got married in 1999. Um, on June 19th, uh, 1999, I got married. And I, um, I, I was born in a Christian home. I, I knew all the right stuff. I, I knew the Bible really well, but I did not know Jesus. I didn't. All the knowledge in the world can't save you. But for some, for some reason of God's sovereignty and grace, literally on my wedding day, um, I just became incredibly, not condemned, but incredibly convicted of sin. And at that moment, I, I really, really, really recognized my need for a Savior. And at that moment, God gave me faith to trust in that Savior, Jesus Christ. And and I submitted my life to Jesus on that day. Not, not because I was getting married, not because any of those things. That's just when God got a hold of me. For whatever reason, it was 19 years of the soil being prepared. It was 19 years of the house being ready. And finally, I had to get to a place where I would say truly yes to not religion, but yes to relationship with Jesus. And it was all because of grace, all because of God's grace. And so now I am dead to sin. And he says, you've got to consider that. I have to constantly consider I'm dead to sin because the moment I stop considering I'm dead to sin, I find myself in sin. So I'm dead to sin. I'm constantly reminding myself and considering that I am alive to God in Christ because if I stop considering that I'm alive to God in Christ, I start considering that I'm just dead and hopeless. And now because of Christ, I'm new. 
So it says, consider it. Consider that you're dead to sin. Consider you're alive in Christ. And so I constantly have to consider that I'm new because if I stop considering that I'm new, I'll start obsessing about the fact that I can never be made new. But I am new in Christ. So because of all these truths, this is what I believe. I believe Galatians 2.20, Paul then writes, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. He says, it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. And so as a follower of Jesus, some, in some strange way, you, you don't even live anymore because you're dead to your sin in Christ. You're alive in Jesus. The life I live now, I live it because of Jesus. So I'm dead to sin. I'm alive in Christ. And this is why Christians use weird terms like born again. It's a weird phrase. And it, maybe you grew up in an old school church where someone said, have you ever been born again? Like a, like, like a sheep or something. <laughs> have you been born again? This is why we use these phrases born again, because we're completely new, completely transformed in Christ. First Peter, uh, Peter, a follower of Jesus, he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead through the resurrection. So this all ties together. How do we become new? Not through just the death, but through the resurrection. How do we be born again? Not just through death, but through resurrection. How are we made new, dead in our sin, alive in Christ? It's through the resurrection. And Jesus actually says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. So Jesus begs us, implores of us, be born again. And when he was talking to this religious man, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, he's like, you can't be born again. That's gross. That's weird. And Jesus says, you're not born again in the body. You're born again in the spirit. You're, you're, you're baptized into the spirit. Jesus comes in and he changes you. He makes you new. He, he, it's almost like you've been born again. We're alive to God in Christ in his resurrection. The same power that rose Christ from the grave can live in us, cause us to be born again to a living hope so that we could see the kingdom of God. And he makes us a totally new creation in Christ. Here's the last verse. For those of you who've been here for this series, to be human is, this is the last point of that overarching series. To be human is to be made new in Christ. To be a new human, a new kind of woman, a new kind of man who's born not of flesh and blood, but born of the Spirit. Second Corinthians, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new kind of human, new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. To be human is to be new in Christ. So if you find yourself in Christ, I mean, putting your faith in him, what that means is that you are new, not just new, you're actually born again, not just born again, but you're actually a new creation. And we started this series looking at the creation of mankind, but through Christ, we're created anew. And this new life and this new power, again, it's for this life today. It comes upon our death 
where we will spend eternity with Jesus in paradise, and we believe as Christians that Jesus is coming to restore all broken things and will resurrect us as well. Jesus said, when the dead are resurrected, some will be resurrected to life and some to judgment. So Easter is about Christ's resurrection from the dead. It's the most significant event in human history is resurrection power. Easter is an invitation to become new, where, where the old is past and the new has come. Easter is a free gift of grace received by faith. Do you guys bow your heads and share something with you and I'll pray and we'll, we'll sing this out with a couple of songs. If I could have you just, um, whether you need to close your eyes or bow your heads, just as a point of eliminating distraction. Uh, I was sharing with my wife last night before I went to bed that I saw the most disturbing thing yesterday. And I don't, I don't even know what to think of it or how to process it, so I'll do it a little bit with you now. Um, I was looking at some different news stories yesterday, and there was um, in Egypt... I'm not sure if any of you saw this, but um, COVID hit Egypt especially hard last year. Um, political unrest hit Egypt especially hard over the last decade, and their, their tourism industry uh, has suffered greatly. And um, 2,500, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 years ago in Egypt, uh, they were, there was a, an Egyptian dynasty that was there, a, a dynasty of kings and queens who were pharaohs. And they, they built a lot of fantastic monuments to their not very fantastic false gods. And, and they buried themselves in elaborate tombs with, with board games and pets. And is this bizarre? Treasures unimaginable. And over the last 150 years, we've been excavating these graves of of these pharaohs and these Egyptian royalty and the Egyptian wealthy. And archaeologists and sociologists have, have been uh, gathering the, the bones of these pharaohs, and they've, they've put them in universities to study them, and they've been put in some museums. Um, but yesterday, something weird happened. To celebrate um, the opening of the Egyptian economy, uh, to celebrate... Um, that what they see is a kind of a path free of COVID. They built this elaborate new museum uh, to house over 20 uh, pharaohs and their, um, their dead carcasses, really, mummies. And they made gold um, trucks for each of the pharaohs. And, and in, in, engraved in gold was the pharaohs' names on, on all of the trucks. And each truck had like special suspension for the pharaohs. And the pharaoh's bodies were encased in, in glass, and there was cameras inside to film the bodies. And um, women, um, I don't even know what you would say, basically like Egyptian priestesses, which not even really a thing anymore, were like led the procession, and there was a parade through Cairo of, of 20 dead pharaohs, uh, men and women who died uh, three, four, four and a half thousand years ago. And... Um, it was, it was a parade for dead people. Um, 
literally like worshiping um, dead kings and queens who, who've been dead for many years. And I don't know why, but that just really bothered me. And of, of all days, it actually happened on Passover uh, when God freed the Israelites from Egypt. Um, then we're parading King Ramses II, who was involved in that, down streets thousands of years later. Those pharaohs are dead. There was a parade for death. There was a parade for hopelessness. Um, men and women, I, I, I know God is sovereign and God can do mighty, wonderful things through his grace, but for all intents and purposes and from what we can see, even though God saw their heart, they put all of their hope in false gods. They put all of their hope in stuff, even at their death. They, they put their stuff in their tombs. And then thousands of years later, paraded in gold chariots down the streets of a city. Um, death is not to be celebrated, guys. Life is. Life is to be celebrated. When we, when we do funerals and memorial services and wakes for people who have died, we're not celebrating their death. We're celebrating the life they lived. And as a follower of Jesus, we're celebrating the life that they have in Christ. I've conducted funerals for people who, who did not know God whatsoever. And it's my desire and hope and prayer that they put faith in him before they died. But there's not a lot of hope in those kind of funerals. They're sad. But it's actually a joyous occasion, even with sad tears, uh, when someone who, who dies who knows Christ because you know that they are now living with him just as they were as they walked this earth and just as they will be one day. And so Egypt may have celebrated death yesterday, but Easter is a day to celebrate life, new life. There's nothing new about a mummy. It's exact opposite, actually. And how amazing is it that we can't parade the body of Jesus down the streets of Jerusalem today? Because he's not there. He rose. He conquered death. His, his body did not see decay. And that same power that arose Christ from the grave, it can live in you with this invitation to be new. So God, I ask in your name that you would... Um, as we become aware of our shortcomings, as we become aware of the fact that without you, we are not new. I pray, God, not, not for a condemnation that would lead to death, but I pray for a conviction of sin right now that would show each of us our desperate need for a Savior. God, I thank you. Your word says it's by grace we have been saved through faith. I thank you that it's not a result of our works so that none may boast. And God, I even thank you that it's not possible to work off our debt. I thank you that it's not possible to earn our salvation. I thank you that there are no amount of good deeds or works or money or prayers we could give that could ever save us, but that you loved us so much that you came and rescued us from death because of your life because of your death, because of your resurrection alone.
In that same book we read from Romans chapter 10, Paul says, if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no salvation without the resurrection of the dead. Jesus rose from the grave to give you life. By grace, you've been saved through faith. So you might say, what must I do to be saved? That's what people said in scripture. What must I do to be saved? And the apostles preaching the good news of Jesus, they said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for your sins. So repent and believe. Turn from the, the life that Jesus wants to nail to the cross and turn towards the resurrected life of Jesus who actually walked away from the cross. He gives a gift of grace. We receive it in faith. We're made new, born again, a new creation. And if you'd say today, uh, pastor, this has been an interesting time under a tent in the wind, but God's doing something in my heart. And I, and I recognize that I'm dead in sin and I crave new. And I'm seeing today, not through your words, but through God's word that we read, that only Jesus could make me new. And with no one looking around, if you'd say, that's me today, I'd like to surrender my life to Jesus. I'd like to put trust in him, put faith in him, uh, follow him as he leads and receive this gift. Be born again, meet, be made new, become a new creation. With, with no one looking around, would you just raise your hand real quick, put it right back down and say, hey, that's, that's me, Pastor. I, today I want to choose Jesus. I want to surrender my life to him. I want to follow Christ. I want Jesus to be uh, the new life in me. I can't do it on my own anymore. You say, that, that's me, I want Jesus. Then I just encourage you in your own words, in your heart, to say, Jesus, today I... I receive you. I thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection. Jesus, I turn from my old ways and I turn to you. Just to clarify, some of you might be like, what old ways do I need to turn from? It doesn't take a preacher to point that out to you. We don't need to make a list of sins you need to turn from. God, God, God does a good job at that. God convicts us of sin. So whatever it is God calls you from, walk away from it and turn to Christ. Follow him. Thank you, Jesus, for your life, your death, your resurrection, your salvation. I choose you, Jesus. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I believe in my heart that you didn't just die for my sins, but you rose for my life. Holy Spirit, come fill my life. Make me new. Make me a new creation and give me the power that's needed to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys stand as we sing?